Hey there, welcome. This is Embodied Astrology and this is Renee and you are tuning in for the Aries season 2020 episode. So I'm recording on March 19th and tonight the sun will move into the tropical sign of Aries. This is the day of the vernal equinox, the beginning of spring in the northern hemisphere. It is a time where the daylight and the nighttime are equally balanced. Um, in both the northern and the southern hemispheres. It's a sacred day and a sacred moment when we can um, pause to kind of check in with the idea of balance. And I have to say that right now that is a very um, attractive idea at a moment when so much seems imbalanced and wacky and crazy. And as I'm thinking back to a month ago when I was recording Pisces season, I'm really amazed at how much has changed in the last four weeks. And I'm sure you are too. Seems like everyday reality or what we call reality is shifting and there's new information to absorb and more things that are changing and more unknown to comprehend and kind of deal with. So my goal, my hope for this episode is that I can balance that. There's a lot to say. I've um, prepared quite a lot of notes and have a lot of things I want to share. And I don't really know how long that's going to take me. Sometimes these podcasts um, move towards the two hour mark. So I'm going to divide today's podcast into parts. And those parts will be uh, punctuated by little sponsor breaks when I hope you can um, get up and move around and drink some water, or maybe take a break for an hour, a few days, and then come back to the next part. I think a lot of people are spending time at home now, and so maybe a little bit of a, a silver lining is uh, just more time to check in with you know the podcast that you listen to and things like that. Um, so in part one, I'm going to begin with um, some embodiment work. Uh, I know for myself I need this, and I'm guessing you probably do too. After the last couple of weeks, um, we might all just benefit from a moment of, of checking in and, and coming home into our bodies. And then I will talk about the last couple of weeks and some bigger uh, astrological transits, some bigger picture ideas um, that we can wrap into astrology to contextualize this moment a little bit and to think about what COVID-19 is as a symbol for um, this time and combined with the symbolism of these transits. Then I'll take a break and then I'll be back for part two. And in part two, I will talk about the upcoming 30 days of astrology, um, some of the more major transits and aspects that are going to be happening. And there are a couple coming up this month. And I'll talk about how these transits and aspects are bringing us into very much of a new cycle, a new era, and quite remarkably providing, I think, a really amazing kind of um, symbolic entry into what this time period could be. Um, so I'll be kind of forecasting a little bit into the future. And then we'll spend some time with Aries as an archetype, as an embodied energy. 
and I will talk about some of the lesser known astrological figures that are currently residing in Aries and what I think they mean and the wisdom that they hold for our time now. So I hope you can stick around for all of this and please check out your month ahead horoscopes as well because in those horoscopes I did my best to consider all the things that are happening now and all of the chaos and upheaval that various people's lives might be going through um, and to contextualize this astrology sign by sign. So check those out. I really hope that the horoscopes and this podcast are supportive for you at this time and in general. I know for me, astrology has felt like the biggest godsend in the last couple of weeks. It has really given me an anchor um, to just view this period of time through, um, similar to a lot of different philosophies that help us make sense of the world. I think astrology is so powerful and provides such an amazing context and lens. If you think this work is helpful, please support it. Um, The number one way that you can support it is by sharing it with your friends. Every time someone listens to these longer podcasts or meditation or one of the horoscopes, um, a little bit of of coin comes my way. So please share this work, um, rate and review it on iTunes podcasts. And if it works for you, send a financial contribution, a one-time contribution or a recurring contribution. If you're a recurring donor, it will get you access to the extended content for subscribers as well. And all that info is in the show notes. So I'm gonna take a really brief pause right now for that sponsor break, and then I will be right back with you with an embodiment practice and a look into some of these larger pictures that we might um, wanna be considering at this moment in this time. Thanks for sticking with me through that sponsor break. Let's do some embodiment practice. Um, I know that I really need this. I'm imagining that you really need this. And I want to say that over the course of the next month, I'm going to be sharing as much embodiment practice as I can uh, on the internet. On the new moon and the full moon, March 24th and April 7th, I'll be offering some live online embodied astrology ritual spaces. And we'll work a lot with embodiment or somatic practice, creative visualization and journeying and writing and connection with one another. And then I'll also be uh, offering three online by donation classes called Home Body Movement. Um, I mostly have a home movement practice and I'm just going to share some of what I do at home, which is kind of goofy and it also really feels good most of the time. I have a lot of injuries in my body and a lot of inflammation, so I'm going to be sharing some more healing practices and integration practices, and those practices are inclusive, they're highly adaptable for all bodies and shapes and sizes, so info is in the show notes, all right? Hope to see you there. So we'll start um, this embodiment check-in just with a body scan, which is such an easy way to come back into the body. So please do this with me. Just take a moment, and if it's comfortable for you to shut your eyes, then go ahead and close them. Otherwise, let your vision almost blur, so you're not really looking at anything. The eyes just get really wide. 
And then let your awareness come into your eyes and into the top of your head. And try and feel all the way around your skull. And then just like someone's, you know, pouring warm water all the way down your body, let your awareness track down your body. Let it move over your face and the back of your skull and down your throat and your neck over your jaw, down your shoulders, pour down your arms and into your fingers and your hands, down your chest and your back, and all the way down through your belly, into your hips, into your thighs and your butt, down to your knees, through your lower legs, your ankles, the soles of your feet. And then go all the way back up. And as you move your awareness from your feet upwards, when you find places of tension, just offer a deep breath. Moving all the way up through your legs, into your pelvis, into your belly, your back your chest, up through your arms, from your fingers to your shoulders, through your neck, up into your face, over your face and around your skull. And then especially in your face, notice any sensation around your eyes, your eyebrows, the space between your eyebrows, the skin on your face, there are muscles throughout the face and your cheeks and up above your teeth and around your jawline. So feel into your inner face and try and just relax those small muscles. Feel the hinge of the jaw and the root of your tongue and notice if there's tension there. See if you can relax the back of your head the base of your skull and you might even imagine your brain resting towards the back of your skull and away from your forehead and then as you feel your brain and your head relaxing back you might imagine again kind of like a pouring down sensation and release through either side of your spine and right into your low back and Kind of from the chest line, like the nipple line, to the low back. Let your back body expand. Feel that any pressure pushing towards your front body can kind of widen and disperse back. And really imagine that kind of pouring, flowing, downward rest along either side of your spine. Just releasing down and then just pause for a moment and feel your breath and let your breath fully enter your body let your abdominal wall soften to receive your breath let your lungs expand really nice and big and when you exhale let your exhales come out as a sigh take a couple of breaths like that and if any of those pieces felt like, whoa, 
I needed that. I didn't realize that there was so much tension gathered in that little crease between my eyes or in the spots in my spine. Then just try and remember that you can check in with your body. And especially throughout Aries season, we want to check in with the Aries energy in the body and Aries rules the muscles. So muscular tension is one of the things we might hmm, bring breath to throughout the month. Aries rules the arterial flow, kind of pumping of the heart. And so if you notice that your heart is racing or you feel a little disconnected from your upper body to your lower body, you can work with your breath and your size out to slow down your heartbeat a little bit to integrate the upper and the lower body. And in medical astrology, Aries also rules the, the face and the upper portions of the head and especially the area around the front of the brain and the eyes and the ears where we receive a lot of sensory information. So relaxing that, that part and that place and again, you know, just imagining that the back part of your skull can open up. This is important for Aries energy because Aries energy is part of how we focus. And when we get really focused, we get a lot of energy in the front part of the face. Trying to see something, there's a really strong intent kind of quality when we go into that um, mode. And sometimes that can be really important, but a lot of the times that can be a, a sign of um, kind of overstimulation of the sympathetic nervous system. So again, deep breaths and sighs. And feeling into the back part of the skull can just help balance a little bit. And Aries is one of the signs, along with its counterpart, Libra, that reminds us that we need balance. And if you listened to the Libra season episode six months ago, um, I was talking about the kidneys, Libra's uh, medical astrology rulership. And the kidneys are on either side of your spine and your low back. And when we get into go, 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 into the fight or flight or um, kind of hypertonic sympathetic nervous system, uh, people tend to crunch at their kidneys and get really tight around that area. And of course, the adrenal glands are right atop the kidneys. And so if you're feeling stressed and if you feel really stimulated and like maybe you're in a survival mode a little bit these days, which would not be surprising at all. Again, those deep breaths and a visualization and an encouragement for your body's energy to relax down the two sides of the spine and really to encourage the kidney area to soften and release down. And from the head to the kidneys to release down can be very helpful and at least in my body, I notice an almost immediate somatic effect, my whole system getting a little calmer. So as you listen today and as I talk, I'm going to um, try and come back to this. Please come back to it with me. Let's all keep resting into our own embodiment as we take in all the information that there is to take in. There is so much that has happened in these last couple of weeks, isn't there? Um, 
like I was saying in the introduction, it is astounding to me when I think back to recording Pisces season um, a few weeks ago. I had no idea what was going to be happening and the extent of um, some of the repercussion of this virus, all of the repercussion is yet unknown. But I'd like to offer a little bit of astrological context for this symptom that has come over our planet. And as far as I know, this is the first time in humanity's history that something like this has happened. I definitely could be wrong on that, but um, I don't know of any other time when there's been a, a global pandemic or a global call to stay inside and to limit contact. And I know that that's not um, what everybody can do at this time, but it is quite astounding that that's happening. So I want to reference the presence of the planet Neptune in the sign Pisces. And Neptune is the astrological uh, planetary ruler of Pisces. And what that means is that both Neptune and Pisces have really similar qualities. And when Neptune is in Pisces, it expands um, the, the Piscean quality. And Pisces, as Neptune's home, expands the Neptunian quality. They both get a lot stronger. So both of these uh, energies speak to the idea of unreality, Maya, the illusion. And last month at Pisces season, I talked a lot about um, this kind of fluctuating awareness of reality, not really knowing what's real, feeling into a dream space and trying to wake up in a dream, recognizing that uh, what we call reality, what we experience as solid and permanent is actually a constant state of change. And that we inside of that constant state of change are part of all of it. So we are each agents of change interacting and interpermeating with all the other agents, which is everything that has ever existed and will exist. And one of the ways that we can navigate through that unreality dream-like uh, experience is by attuning to a higher kind of spiritual dimension and um, cultivating intuition. So if you didn't listen last month and what I said just piqued something for you, then go ahead and um, maybe pause this recording and go back to last month or whatever order that you want. But over the last couple of weeks, um, something significant has happened, which is that Jupiter has formed the first of three sextiles with Neptune that it will form this year. In traditional astrology, Jupiter is also the planetary ruler of Pisces. So Neptune is a more recently discovered planet and it's considered the modern ruler. And Jupiter is um, one of the planets that we can see with the naked eye. And so it's one of the more classical planets in astrology and it is considered the traditional ruler. So when Jupiter and Neptune are interacting, especially when they're interacting in a sextile, which is a productive, activating, lending kind of force, then both of their energies get bigger. Jupiter is currently transiting through Capricorn and it's stimulating um, the placement, the long-term placement in Capricorn, which is Pluto. And uh, again, to reference back uh, to an earlier podcast, 
um, at the beginning of the astrological year, um, which was actually last year on the winter solstice, I put out the Capricorn season episode breakdown to breakthrough. And in that episode, I talked a lot about the significance of Pluto and Capricorn as a cycle that has its origins um, all the way back in uh, the kind of 14, 1500s at the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, um, the beginning of what we might call like a colonial settler mentality, and the beginning of what we also might consider capitalism or the idea that we can, uh, or that someone can profit off of ownership of bodies of land and trade. And Pluto and Capricorn is a transformative energy that transforms through pushing toxins to the surface and revealing what has um, been kind of underneath and in the shadow of the more obvious manifestation. So Pluto and Capricorn is revealing to us the, the shadow element of this um, global mindset around um, capital and dominance and superiority that has really shaped our planet and all of our societies um, for centuries now and has become the thing that will kill us, right? That is driving um, mass extinction forward. And a lot of the problems that we're facing right now, including climate chaos, including um, mass poverty, including uh, all of the social justice issues, and definitely including this virus and some of uh, what, what the virus is exposing, um, mass inequity, lack of preventative care, lack of safety net for a lot of people, lack of time off, and also a, a global connectivity that we really need to be sensitive towards. Um, Pluto is exposing all of that, or it is a symbol that uh, provides some kind of exposure. So we might think of astrology as just a symbolic language to describe what's happening now. And what's happening now is that these systems that have driven industry forward and driven um, kind of the growth of a, a lot of the, the societal development for, again, centuries, um, all of that is breaking down now. And it will continue to break down until it either A, gets transformed into something that can serve the evolutionary purpose and we can continue in some new fashion, or B, um, it will kill us and we'll go extinct. And plenty of scientists will you know, confirm that we're pretty close to that. Um, and I think there's a, a lot of people out there that are kind of naming three potential possibilities. The first being total extinction um, through some kind of nuclear holocaust or something equally as disastrous that wipes out all life um, except for the small microorganisms on the face of the planet. Option B is partial extinction, um, pretty mass annihilation and chaos with some life remaining um, in a, a pretty challenging, precarious position needing to figure it out and uh, evolution will take a different course from there. And option, uh, the third option is something that we um, have never experienced before. It is a new, different kind of society that is thriving and abundant and based on some kind of egalitarian uh, sentiment and wisdom and care for all and care for the planet. I certainly hope we're going towards option three. Um, but over the last 
a couple of weeks, we've had this aspect of Jupiter sextile to Neptune, and Jupiter is a magnifying force. And Jupiter is very close to Pluto's placement right now, and so you can think of it acting as a magnifying lens. And kind of like if you hold a magnifying lens, you know, to catch the sun's light, and then you can like, um, you know, start a fire or something like that. Maybe think of Jupiter like that, like it is collecting a lot of energy. It's, it's expanding and focusing the potential of that energy. And then as it combines with Neptune, we get this rapid expansion of unreality. And what Neptune and Pisces both relate with, um, so when you do any kind of search for Neptune and Pisces or you read your astrology books, you'll come across words like loss, grief, overwhelm, confusion, and illnesses, sensitivities and fragilities. Um, these are very strongly related with Neptune and Piscean qualities. Um, we lose our sense of self. We lose our sense of separation. We don't have any barriers. We become totally permeable to the influences of the outside. And those influences can then overtake us with mysterious illnesses that we can't control, that we don't know what they are. We feel our sensitivities. We feel our fragilities. And we become overwhelmed by uh, loss and sadness and grief. When Jupiter sextiles Neptune, these experiences enlarge like crazy. <laughs> and what we need to do then is move towards the, the needs, the exalted needs, the, the wisdom lessons of these planetary energies, which are compassion and benevolence and selflessness and the knowing that we are one. And uh, both Jupiter and Neptune speak to that. Jupiter um, promotes a sense of morality and ethical inquiry and justness and asks us to be our best selves, to really show up with uh, all that we can give. And Neptune reminds us of the, the, the reality that there is no separation, that we are all in this together, that we are all drinking the same water, eating the same food, breathing the same air. And even though we're existing in our separate consciousnesses, thinking that we're separate people and our separate bodies, and we have our separate nationalities and our, you know, imaginary borders and stuff like that, um, we're all in this together. And when we recognize that, then we move into a higher spiritual dimension and we start to cultivate our intuition and our sensitivity so that we can attune to one another. We don't have to be in the separate state of mind trying to figure things out with language and arguing about petty shit. Um, we can simply attune. We can come into a space of empathy and compassion with each other and with the earth. That would be the the exalted potential of both Jupiter and Neptune interacting as they are right now. Now the detrimental potential is that um, these influences can push us further into a state of illusion. And um, this is the illusion of separation. Um, you're different than me. I need all this stuff for myself. I'm going to hoard it. And then I'm going to be scared that you're going to steal it from me so that I'm going to fight you, right? Like <laughs> shit like that. Um, and that is suffering. That is what promotes and creates suffering. So Jupiter and Neptune are dancing together all year long. 
and they will form two more sextiles over the course of the year. One, uh, the next one is in July, um, around July 27th, and then the third and final this year is October, October 12th. Um, so this is one symbol, and there's another symbol I'm going to be talking about later that to me speak to uh, kind of the timeline and the duration that we can consider for COVID for this um, strange circumstance that we suddenly um, have to contend with as a global reality, uh, that this is probably going to be going on all year. And the, the fallout and the repercussions are going to continue to expand. And they will continue to uh, take more and more um, of us together. So economic fallout, um, overwhelm of medical needs, uh, the repercussion of empathy and compassion that also walks hand in hand with grief and loss. This is going to continue. And throughout the year, we want to continue to move towards the exalted planetary potentials, and that is how we can turn this situation into a gift on some level. And I really want to speak to a lot of um, what I've been kind of watching float through the social media sphere. And um, there's there's like three different things that I've kind of been noticing, like three different groups. So one group is um, hypervigilance and uh, all the like information and the statistics and things to worry about and how to wash your hands and how to stay safe and that kind of thing. Um, another, uh, another grouping is um, awareness of who and what is being impacted um, kind of at the, the, the deepest layers. So we're getting all of this instruction to social distance and to rest and to stay inside. And there are a lot of people out there who don't have that option. They don't have that option economically. They can't take the time off. Um, these are folks that are that are in the trenches, right? That are working um, as caretakers. That are wor working as service providers. That are working for Amazon, which is about to hire some uh, a huge amount of new employees to meet the demand of so many people now ordering online. Um, and these people aren't given given the option, right? There there isn't paid time off. There's not insurance. There's not um, the preventative measures available to make sure that everybody is taken care of. And there are a lot of people who are slipping through the cracks. People who are uh, experiencing houselessness that don't have a home to go and quarantine in, um, people who are being evicted because they can't pay their rent, people who uh, already are living with disability and chronic illness and don't have the support that they need to go out and um, stock up, you know, or to clean all of their stuff and to do all the things that we're supposed to do. So that's <laughs> another area that I'm seeing kind of come through on social media. And then in contrast to that, there's um, this kind of silver lining information like, well, 
um, suddenly there are blue skies in China and they haven't been seen for years because there's all this pollution from all of the traffic all the time and now there's no traffic and uh, the sky is clearing. Or suddenly there's the sound of birds and nature in this place where all we heard before was cars. Or suddenly I'm connecting with my family because we have no choice but to stay in. And so I'm feeling feelings and realizing how distant we've become and what a gift this is that, you know, I can stay home and rest. And maybe COVID is uh, a gift to humanity because humanity needed to pause and to rest. So I just want to hold all of those things, all of those various streams, and say that it's complicated, right? All of this is, is happening right now, and I hope that all of us can hold it all together, and that when we're spiraling into a space where we're going like, fuck, you know, what do I need to do to take care of myself and what are all the preparations and like got to get it. And we go into that um, hunter-gatherer scarcity survival mode that we can stop for a minute and pause and slow down and remember that there are a lot of people out there who are um, really needing everyone to check in and check in with their privileges and their access and remember that people need a lot of help. And so as much as we're trying to help ourselves right now, we really have to help each other. And I hope that when we um, start to spiral in worry about who's not getting taken care of, and maybe um, that's you, or maybe that's someone in your family, or the neighbor, that we can reach out, right? And we can ask for help. And let's hope that there is what we need right now, which is empathy and compassion. And let's all promote that together. And when we go into the space of here's the gift, here's the potential of this moment, these are the silver linings, um, let's push for that. Let's get really determined. And remember that silver linings can appear, but if, uh, if, if we, and I put myself in this category, if we have the privilege, if I have the privilege to stay home, I've got all the food that I need, I know that I'm in a safe space, I can work from home, my income isn't getting affected yet, um, it's really easy to get complacent. It's really easy to go into a space of like, oh, well, this is just a, a gift given to humanity and we needed to slow down and, and here's the message. Um, yes, that's totally potentially the gift. We have to make that happen though. And that's not going to be something that um, continues unless we make it happen. So we have to push for a basic living wage. We have to push for policies that are taking care of everybody all together all at once because everybody all together all at once needs to pause. Not just those of us who have the economic privilege. We need to make sure that everybody is in this together. For me, I think that that's one of the, the biggest teachings right now is um, it's complicated, right? We have to consider all the, the various pieces and 
hold the complexities within ourselves and try and stay as open to all the information, not get shut down by it, not go into a state of um, pure survival mentality and fear um, where we're only looking out for number one or for our immediate family. And we have to reach out, support one another as much as we can, encourage family, friends, networks, bosses, communities, elected leaders, that everybody needs to be supported. And right now we have to push for it. This is the moment to reach out to your Congress people, your senators, or whoever is in power where you live and say, this is what we need. Everybody needs to get paid time off right now. And if we don't have some kind of uh, global insurance for people to be taking care of themselves and practicing preventative care, then these kinds of catastrophes are going to happen again, and they are going to become more and more extreme and severe. So this relationship between um, these outer planetary energies are showing us how capitalism is breaking down and is breaking down the planet and our interconnections and the people, our bodies. The system is beginning to eat itself. Um, power is corrupting absolutely. And death and fear and toxins and plagues and the apocalypse are all um, symbolism of these outer planet energies. Now, we have the option. They can bring us into a space of um, spiritual evolution where we really recognize that we're in this together and we become accountable to one another and therefore ourselves, or we can go out with it. All right, I'm going to check in with my muscular body. I'm going to take some deep breaths. Feel my belly. Feel my face. How are you doing? When I think about this um, dystopian future, you know, the potential right now, it is a very real potential that this moment is going to increase um, and result in a lot more death. So we don't know how big it's going to get. And I really want to speak to my fellow um, white, economically privileged um, middle, upper middle class folks out there. Um, those of us who are like sending these letters to each other, like here's the gift, here's the lesson. Um, it is a very real possibility, at least in the astrological context and what these planetary energies imply, that we will move increasingly towards a more inhospitable climate. And I mean that in terms of the, the global climate and the results of uh, the drive of capitalism towards cheap labor and production, that we will move more and more towards releasing of fossil fuels and unsustainable practices. And this goes hand in hand with social barriers and a widening class striation and gap between the rich and the poor, which goes hand in hand with war which goes hand in hand with defensiveness. That is one option. We can move towards that from here. Or 
we have to go a different direction. And that different direction is something that we haven't done before. We've done the war thing for a while, right? We've done this, this mass death and extinction thing for a while. That's the path we've been on. We haven't done the global unity thing yet. We haven't gone towards egalitarianism. There have been systems out there, communism or socialism or whatever they're called. I haven't studied them, but it doesn't really seem like they worked. And it seems like they didn't work because it was still that one guy in power, whoever that guy was, you know, one person putting it together and imposing that on the people. So the thing that we haven't done yet is truly collaborative. It is actually equitable. It is uh, based not in punitive systems and punishment, but in restoration and accountability and relationship and the idea that we can work for each other's best benefit, that we could work with the earth for her healing right now. This could produce a hospitable climate. And I mean that in both ways. The more we work together and the more we work with the earth, the more we're going to find the sustainable, innovative solutions that are going to carry us into this alternative reality, the thing we haven't done yet, but that we could do, we could move towards it. And the hospitable global climate is something that is also energetic, that we ourselves have to become more hospitable. And I just thought it was so funny as I was writing my notes, thinking about this idea of hospitable or inhospitable. And if you're a person who is um, immune compromised, and I just want to give a, a, a bow to you right now. Um, I talked in last month's podcast about um, f fragile bodies and sensitivities and immune compromised people kind of being the leaders and the teachers for this time right now because you all are going to show us how it's done um, to live with sensitivity and care. But some of you might be familiar with this idea that we um, can become inhospitable hosts to toxins. So for example, um, if you have Lyme disease, you want to become an inhospitable host to the Lyme. And that means that you build your system and make it really resilient and healthy and well so that the Lyme doesn't want to be there anymore. It can't come in and infect and, and separate and um, mutate, right? Now, how do we become inhospitable hosts to toxins and to what's corrosive? Um, maybe we practice hospitality with each other. And the word hospitality has the same root as the word hospitals. And uh, right now, the hospitals are about to be overwhelmed and we're in a global moment of trying to figure out literally how to increase hospitality. Um, a lot of cities are going to be converting uh, college dorm campuses into additional hospital rooms. So this uh, root word coming from the Latin hospice means to host or to guest. And it's the root of hospitality, hostel, hotel. It means a lodging for travelers, but especially um, the houses of refuge and shelter that are or were traditionally run by a spiritual order. So let's think about the, the big symbol here of this moment and what's being asked of us um, to become more hospitable 
in a larger sense to one another so that we can become inhospitable hosts to these corrosive elements and um, destructive agents that kind of infiltrate our sensitivities. How can we move towards sensitivity as a lesson, right? How can we open up to increase our connectivity rather than build more barriers? rather than shutting down more harshly. We have to feel beyond the facts of what the virus is and all the things that we're supposed to do and uh, open up to the message, um, which I think includes all of those messages that I was talking about running through the, the social spheres. Um, okay, those are my, my thoughts uh, on COVID and this moment and these kind of larger outer planet energies. So again, check in with your body, check in with your face, your muscles, I'll check in with mine. And I'll take another little brief pause here and be right back with you with astrology for the next 30 days. Are you still breathing? I have to remind myself to breathe a lot right now. Um, my body has been tighter than I ever remember it being tight. I feel so gripped um, a lot of the day. And even though I'm stretching and doing the foam rolling and stuff like that, um, there's just so much tension. And I'm a sensitive person, as are you. And I know that I absorb a lot from the atmosphere and I can feel in my body and in my dreams um, how much I'm absorbing right now, kind of the collective tension. So if you, like me, are noticing that your muscles are really tight right now, uh, I'd love to encourage all of us here to take um, Epsom salt baths. It's really great for clearing and for detoxifying. Um, to drink uh, like a, a quarter or half a teaspoon of baking soda in warm water um, two to three or four times a day. You might want to check with uh, a healthcare provider on what a good dosage is, but um, it really helps the body to cleanse and to detoxify and it also increases alkalinity in the body. And um, that is for most of us going to help our immunity and um we really need that, and it reduces acidity in the body, which produces inflammation. There's a lot of inflammation, um, of course, at uh, flu season or any time when there's increased stress, like right now. Okay, so what is going on in Aries season? Y'all, it is like a lot. It's I was downstairs getting all of this ready this morning, and I was I felt like I was watching um, an adventure movie, like I or whatever those like action movie right like and it was so Aries Aries is such an action movie I was like watching all the babes with the big muscles running around like with all their weapons and their gear jumping onto the motorcycles da, da, da. it was that kind of feeling as I was going through all these transits so we're starting Aries season today uh, March 19th March 20th depending on where you are in the world when uh, what time the sun moves into Aries and then immediately on the 20th, uh, Mars in Capricorn will form a conjunction with Jupiter. So this conjunction is um, potentially a, a big kind of exaggerating energy. So 
over the next couple of weeks, um, like I said, the repercussions of what's happening right now are going to get bigger and bigger, and Mars conjunct to Jupiter is going to be a big one. Now, I also want to say that on a political sphere, like societal um, sphere, Mars conjunct to Jupiter in the sign of Capricorn has a lot to do with um, efforts of the government and potentially the military and measures being taken at this time for containment and preparedness and potentially defense. Um, so we might see, a, you know, a kind of a lot of response on many different levels. Now, the next day on March 21st, Saturn makes its first ingress into Aquarius. And this is kind of a big deal because uh, Saturn returns to the same sign only once every 29 years or so. Um, so for those of you who are listening, who are born between 1990 and 92, this is the beginning of, of your Saturn return. And if you were born... Um, 30 years before that, 1962 to 64, then you are experiencing your second Saturn return. And if there's anybody listening who was born between 1932 and 1935, you're experiencing your third Saturn return. So welcome to your Saturn returns, y'all. Um, if you don't know much about your Saturn return, I have a special episode uh, called Astrology is Serious Business, and you can find that um, from iTunes or just do a Google search, Embodied Astrology, Saturn, Astrology is Serious Business, and you'll find it. Um, in that episode, I talk all about Saturn return and what it means. So I'm not going to talk about it so much now, but I will just say that um, Saturn moving into Aquarius is Saturn moving into one of the signs of its rulership, and it's moving from another sign of its rulership. So again, traditional astrology gives uh, planetary rulership um, to usually two signs, except for the sun and the moon, they only rule one. But Saturn rules Capricorn and Aquarius. Now, Saturn is a planet that represents structure and the formation of structure and the way that things grow over time. And the way that things grow over time is typically through trial and error and working through obstacles and um, some kind of resilience and standing the test of time. So Saturn represents all of these things. It's how do we grow uh, in a world that includes gravity right? Like we have to um, push down to, to grow upwards. And how do we uh, get the things that we need in a world where we are in a body, where we have to work for it? And so Saturn uh, talks a lot about our work and our labor and um, the, the struggle of being in a body and surviving in material reality. When Saturn moves um, from Capricorn into Aquarius, it describes a transition of what I'll say is discipline and tenacity and formation um, from a kind of top-down leadership boss kind of idea, which is Capricorn, hierarchy, authority, Capricorn symbols, into the collective, and that's Aquarius. So Saturn in Aquarius is a revolutionary kind of Saturn. Often we think of Saturn in its more kind of Capricorn manifestation, which is the authority figure or, you know, the, the Lord of time or uh, someone that's going to test you, you know, an energy that's going to restrict you and present obstacles. 
Saturn in its Aquarian manifestation is also working through obstacles and testing, but here the emphasis is on forming through intellect and working with community and a strengthening of the people. So Saturn is moving into Aquarius. It's, it's taking a little jaunt into Aquarius beginning in just a couple of days on March 21st. And this is the beginning of its transit and Saturn is going to um, go retrograde later in the year. And I think I'm actually going to wait to get into that to talk about what Saturn's doing because I have a whole bit on that. So let's just say for now that beginning in Aries season, right at the start, we start to move into a very new societal energy that has a lot to do with innovation. And we can already see this happening um, just over the last couple of weeks as everything has been breaking down. There's actually been a lot that's, uh, you know, really suddenly, really quickly being innovative, uh, innovated in order to provide some kind of solution. This is very Saturn and Aquarius, and we're going to see that all through the year. Um, so I'm going to come back to Saturn and Aquarius because I have more there, but let's keep going through Aries season. A day after that, Mars continues um, in its transit through Capricorn and it forms a conjunction with Pluto. Now, Jupiter and Pluto are very close, as I was mentioning in the last um, section. And so the 20th, the 21st, and the 22nd, we can consider Mars um, acting together with both Jupiter and Pluto making these exact transits. And on the 22nd and 23rd, um, as Mars is combining with Pluto, we also have aspects of the other personal planets, um, Mercury and Venus, and they're both aspecting outer planets. So Mercury will sextile um, Uranus and Taurus and Venus in Taurus will sextile Neptune in Pisces. If you're not like an astro speak person and that sounds like gobbledygook, whatever, I'm kind of including it for those um, who are interested in the astrological language. What this symbolizes to me um, is the enormity of personal consequence and um, experience in relationship to these outer planet, these big collective transpersonal experiences. So in um, astrology theory, there are the inner planets or the personal planets, which can include the sun and the moon, even though they're not technically planets, these are the two primary lights. Um, and the sun and the moon are traveling the, the fastest and they're bringing our attention um, throughout the month to all of these other things that are happening in the world. And I'm going to talk more about what the sun's doing um, in a little bit. Then when we get into the inner planets, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, um, and you might notice that the earth is not included in there, that's because astrology is a language for those of us on earth. Um, Earth, Earth-centeredness is uh, part of the astrological viewpoint. There is uh, sun-centered astrology, and that's something that's different. Um, all kinds of astrologies. So just quickly to say that this is from our point of view, and it's, uh, again, astrology is not speaking to some kind of universal truth. It's talking about a human experience in a way that we can contextualize it. Okay, I digress. So coming back. Um, the personal planets, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, are describing the personal experiences. So Mercury, how we're thinking about things, what we're talking about, what's going on in our minds, and our kind of immediate connections and awareness. Um, Venus, love, relationships, 
and what's important to us, our attachments, um, money is a big one for Venus, resources, Mars, energy, just basic energy, how we're using our chi, right, our vitality to move through the day, to power our bodies, to get things done, and then uh how energy can manifest as passion, as desire. Desire is uh, probably the main driving force for us to be doing anything at all is because we want things. Um, or uh, repulsion, right? Aggress aggression, um, needing to push something away, needing to combat something. That's Mars energy. So these are the personal energies. This is what we're experiencing in our own bodies as we go throughout the day. We're experiencing thought and communication and attention. We're experiencing um, pleasure and pain, desire, needs, attachments, and aversions. All of those things are being influenced by larger collective experiences. Um, the larger collective experiences are described by the outer planets. Uranus is an, is a, an experience of change and awakening, having some kind of enlightenment or revolution or idea about things. We can think of um, Uranus as being progress in the world how we continue to move forward and invent things. Um, humans love to invent things, right? Neptune as an outer planet energy describes the constantly changing structure of reality. Um, our lives are short, even if we're gonna live a hundred and something years, um, Within a hundred years, you'll see so much change. Uh, my partner and I were talking to their great aunt the other night, who's 93, and I was like, have you ever experienced anything like COVID before? And she was like, never. And then we were talking another time about all the things she has experienced, uh, being born in the 1920s, um, being a, a mixed race woman um, who's considered black, and how much her experience has changed since the 1920s into the 2000s and what this woman has gone through and what she has has seen right like oh my god so much change and that's reality reality is always changing always evolving um we think that something is quote unquote real, meaning we think it's fixed. It's going to be there tomorrow. Um, I made this money today and therefore I'm going to have it tomorrow. And then all of a sudden the stock market falls and it's like, where the fuck did it go? Something is different. So Neptune, the constantly changing structure of reality. And then Pluto, the destruction force. Um, part of life is death. Things break down. They have to transform. Now, humanity, at least at this moment, um, at least for dominant cultures and societies, has a really dysfunctional relationship with death, meaning that we're scared of it and avoid it for the most part and don't see um, its, its uh, re you know, sacred symbolism, its reverence, the, the way that we could be in right relationship to it. And so then death becomes a monster. Death becomes something to avoid. And death becomes um, a huge overwhelming force that I would say is a collection of collective shadow. All the things that we're scared of coming to get us. So on March 23rd, all of the personal planets um, will aspect the outer planets. Mars will be conjunct Pluto. So we have um, energy, force, aggression, conflict coming together with death, destruction, shadow. Mercury 
um, in Pisces will be sextile Uranus and Taurus. We have the mind in a really cloudy, subjective, confused, um, potentially very empathic state being totally um, compelled and provoked by shifting changes on earth, by economies tumbling, by environments wildly changing overnight. Um, we have Venus, attachments, values, especially in Taurus, the things that we love and that we hold dear and our bodies, um, sextile to Neptune in Pisces, unreality, changing reality. We live in a dream. Then the next day on March 24th, we have a, a new moon. So I'm going to talk about that, but I want to just pause for a moment and say that these f next couple of days, if you happen to be listening to this as this podcast comes out, they are over fucking whelming. There's so much happening. It is monumental. There are a lot of changes. A lot of things are breaking down. Every single day is going to be different. Changes will be rapid. It's going to be hard to stay on top of. This is this is the new reality now, this kind of ra rapid change. So try not to get attached to anything as it comes up. Like if something happens and you're like, holy shit, this is the way it is now. Just take a breath because it's going to change in 10 minutes. Things are going to keep changing for a while. We have to resource ourselves during this time. And embodiment is the biggest resource that I can think of. Breath and embodiment. As long as you're alive, you're in a body. So look down at your feet, look at your hands, talk to your skin, feel your own body, take some breaths, and as much as you can, um, be aware of what's just normal, right? So all of these changes are happening in our society and in our relationships. And then at the same time, maybe you could look outside and there's like a, a bird eating some seeds and a cloud floating through the sky and some rain falling and maybe your stomach is grumbling because you're hungry. Keep coming back to that present moment awareness and try not to get too spun out by all the changes. All right, March 24th, we have a new moon. The new moon is at four degrees of Aries. Check your natal chart if you have any planets or points at four degrees of Aries, and this is an important new moon for you. The new moon is conjunct to um, Chiron and Lilith, which I'm going to talk about in um, just a little bit, and that's a big significance of this new moon. But first, before I get to, to that, I'm going to finish the rest of Aries season, and one of the other significant points about this new moon is that, um, of course, a new moon is when the sun and moon come together, so both the sun and the moon our primary lights, meaning our primary experiences, our most personal experiences, um, both the sun and the moon are square to the nodal axis, and the nodal axis is where eclipses happen. And since 2018, the eclipses have been happening in the seasons of Cancer and Capricorn. And right now, the um, points where eclipses happen, the north and the south node, are still in Cancer and Capricorn. So this eclipse axis describes a pathway, a directionality for evolution as it's occurring. And currently, the south node, where there's a lot to be released because it's the old evolution, it's what's getting let go of, um, the south node is in Capricorn. 
And you may remember that a few minutes ago I was talking about some of the planets in Capricorn in part one um, and what their, their significance is and the idea of a transformation of industry and what has been built upon the colonial settler mentality, what has been built upon the capitalist drive. The South Node in Capricorn represents a release of these old ideas. Now, a release is also a flooding, and the South Node can definitely um, talk to these kind of old ideas flooding our awareness and becoming so big that we uh, are forced to really look at them in a pretty significant way and see where they're falling short of our evolutionary needs. And that's part of how the South Node works is by becoming some kind of overwhelming force that drives us to the other extreme. Now the other end is the North Node in Cancer. And the North Node in Cancer describes a drive towards inclusivity and a larger sense of family or familialness. Now some people will say that the uh, North Node in Cancer is going to increase um, borders and barriers and nationalism, kind of the idea of us versus them. I'm going to say that I think that has more to do with the South Node in Capricorn, the idea of these hard borders and the exalted potential of um, these eclipses and, and what they're symbolizing is that we move towards a bigger idea of what family means. And this is an interesting new moon because so many people are stuck at home with their family, um, family being a, a somewhat broad term. So stuck at home, maybe with your housemates, maybe with your pet, um, maybe just with yourself uh, or with your chosen family, your biological family, um, on Skype, talking to people, that kind of thing, connecting and being forced to stay at home. And cancer is the sign of home, nesting, rootedness, and bonding. So something about this new moon in its square to the nodal axis is triggering that evolutionary pathway. It is really stimulating it quite strongly. Now we will have two more eclipses in this series of eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn. Um, one is on the summer solstice or uh, the June solstice um, on June 20th and that's going to be at zero degrees of Cancer and then two weeks after that on July 4th there is a lunar eclipse at 13 degrees of Capricorn. Maybe I didn't say the June 20th eclipse is a solar eclipse. We're finishing up this set of eclipses this year, and then we'll be moving uh, this winter into, I, I'm saying seasons, and that's automatic for those of you living in the Southern Hemisphere, I apologize. So we'll be moving um, this November and December into uh, eclipses in the Sagittarius and Gemini axis. And that's going to be a different energy that I will also talk about in a little bit. However, finishing up um, these eclipses, I think that this new moon is really giving us a glimpse into what we need to um, evolve towards, which is rootedness, coming home, pausing, connecting, and bonding. Um, as people have been saying for the last couple of weeks, um, what I was talking about a moment ago with these um, letters that are coming out, right, and like uh, these messages of maybe COVID-19 is 
um, a messenger, maybe it's a gift to humanity because we need to stay home. Um, I agree with that sentiment. I wish everybody could stay home. Um, and I totally agree. We, like people are crazy, right? Everybody's go, go, go. So busy all the time out there trying to be so productive. And that is the detrimental Capricorn. I need to be productive. I need to achieve something. I've got this ambition. I'm going to be the boss. I've got to be an authority. I've got to be a grown up. That's a detrimental Capricorn. So being forced to stay at home is a blessing right now if you can get it. So if you are stuck at home, use this opportunity. And if you are not stuck at home, use this opportunity to connect with your family. Try and work through some old shit, you know. There are deep, deep wounds that a lot of us have um, around home and family, around the feeling of belonging, inclusion, exclusion. If you are really going through it right now because this is a time when you're supposed to be at home with your family and it feels like nobody's there to take care of you, um, let those tears out, babe. Like we have to feel these uh, family wounds. We have to feel our disconnect with home. Because if we don't feel it, then it drives us in the opposite direction. It drives us towards this idea of, oh, I can attain some kind of status. And once I get that status, then it's going to validate me as a worthwhile person. That's such a backwards idea, right? That we can value each other on what someone has achieved in their life or the ambition or the things that they've built or the money that they've made. That that's how we're going to value each other rather than um, how someone takes the time to just sit and be present and bond. We need to value each other energetically. I think that's a big part of this new moon lesson. How do we sit still, go inside, internal in ourselves and feel what's present? How do we feel the, the rapid pace of the world resonating in our bodies? And how do we still that pace? How do we calm it down a little bit? And as soon as we start to calm it down, the feelings are going to be there. And then we have to, to feel them. We have to let them out. We have to talk about them. So there's some big themes this month and especially around the new moon. Um, so I do want to encourage everybody to um, be gentle with yourselves during this time, to give yourself a lot of um, space and give one another a lot of space to have feelings. Um, try not to be a temperamental jerk like I've been <laughs> a fair amount the last couple of days getting so edgy, can't get out of the house. Oh my gosh, I've always got people up in my business. But you know, it's like we, we've got to do this work of living in proximity with each other, soothing ourselves and giving one another space to express. Um, if you need some support for emotional release, please check out the guided meditations I have online. You can search for them on SoundCloud. You can find them through my website. Um, I have over 80 guided meditations and a lot of them are emotional support. A lot of them are around working with inner child, working with um, familial archetypes and like inner body healing and emotional release. So if you need support to feel the things that are being felt, um, or if you want to pass on that support to someone else, please do. On March 30th, a couple of days later, Mars will move into Aquarius. It will be there for about six weeks. And as soon as it moves into Aquarius, it forms a trine, excuse me, it forms a conjunction with Saturn. 
Um, so Mars and Aquarius can definitely bring a kind of upsurge in a radical direction. Aquarius is a radical sign. And again, it's the people, it's people power, it's new ideas, it's innovation. It is doing something that's different. It's fighting the power. Um, and Mars coming in is, is a big boost of energy. And we could see a lot of uh, people movements, right? Um, social movements. And we're already seeing this. Uh, protests, um, campaigns, petitions, you know, fighting back, asking for equity. Uh, a lot of, of people pushing for progress because we need progress right now and the solutions that are being presented are not enough um you know this kind of ridiculous idea of that it i mean maybe is a step in the right direction but um trump saying he'll give every american a thousand dollars it's not enough right it's not enough there needs to be um a moratorium on evictions. There needs to be um, a, a decrease or just a, a complete cutting back of, um, you know, collecting rent or mortgages or student loans. Um, people need a thousand dollars a month, not just a thousand dollars. People need support right now, and um, we need mass movement to get people support. So we can't let things. Um, be just tiny little increments towards progress. We need a lot and we need it fast. And the people will probably demand it. Now, Saturn as an energy can be halting and rigid and it can stop progress. So Mars coming into Aquarius could bring an upsurge, but um, also meeting up with Saturn, there will be a challenge, right? And so Again, we really need to push for what we want right now. Mars conjunct Saturn can also speak to this tenacity, to this commitment and conviction that we have to get the thing that we want and need. Um, so if you are stuck at home and you have some extra hours in your day, don't spend it scrolling on the phone, stressing out. Um, write some letters to your elected officials. Uh, get on the phone, phone bank. Um, you know, connect with friends and family that maybe have different points of view and listen to each other, but really push for uh, some kind of actual solution that's going to take care of the people. On April 3rd, Venus will then move into Gemini. So we have uh, Mars and Venus now in the air signs. They're going to be working together. Air as an element wants... Um, social harmony. It wants communication and it values intellect and connection. So we have support to be doing this work, to be pushing for movement, to uh, communicate and connect with one another. Venus is going to spend a long time in Gemini this year, uh, much longer than it normally spends in a sign because it will be retrograde in May and June. And so it will actually be in Gemini through early August. Venus is the soul-centered ruler of Gemini, and what this means is that Gemini as an energy relates to the mind and the mental um, fluctuations, the way that we use language to narrate our own experience, how we communicate with one another 
um, is birthed out of how we talk to ourselves, how we interpret one another, um, comes through the lens of how we narrate to ourselves, and how we communicate and how we narrate to ourselves has a lot to do with uh, what we do with information, what kind of judgments we make, and what kind of deals we make with each other, what kind of exchanges we make. Gemini is uh, classically ruled by the planet Mercury, and Mercury is very mental, it's very cerebral. Venus has to do with care and with love. So Venus is considered to be the soul-centered ruler of Gemini in that when the mind connects with the heart, then we have good thoughts. When we're in a space of love, then our inner narration tends to be more um, forgiving, less judgmental, where we see the positive in something rather than being really quick to judge. Um, we'll speak kindly to people rather than gossiping about them or throwing them under the bus. This is the kind of energy we really need right now. We need caring, loving communication. We need curiosity and we need to learn to get along with each other. Now, I mentioned that the eclipses are going to be moving into the Sagittarius-Gemini axis uh, starting at the end of the year. And Sagittarius, as the opposite sign of Gemini, represents um, the way that the mind can grow and how it can expand by choice. Gemini represents the mind as it is socialized, as we learn through our environments, through contexts that we don't choose, through our mother tongues, etc., Sagittarius represents diversity, multiculturalism, opening our minds to difference, learning new languages, um, philosophies, esoteric paths, a quest for knowledge. When the eclipses move into Gemini and Sagittarius, they'll actually have a kind of short jaunt through these signs. Um, sometimes eclipses can uh, continue in one set of signs for almost two years. This eclipse range is just going to be about one year, and then they'll move into Taurus Scorpio. So what this means to me, and um, I'm, again, I'm going to be talking about this in, again in a minute, but what this means to me is that we have um, the next two years or so are really critical for communicating and connecting and sharing information and ideas and opening minds, expanding minds. And Venus coming into Gemini um, in April and there through August is a wonderful time to get on with it. And all of a sudden we've got um, a lot more connectivity in some ways. So people at home are communicating to each other in different ways. A lot of people are connecting up online, sharing information in certain ways, organizing together. This is a really good time to learn, to reach out, to connect with new community, um, to connect with people that you might not think you've got anything in common with, maybe to connect with people that there's legitimate animosity with and to see if you can find some common ground. We are really supported for that over the next couple of months. On April 4th, Jupiter will form its first conjunction with Pluto. So I mentioned this um, before um, in part one when I was talking about Pluto and Capricorn and Jupiter and Neptune in sextile with each other. So Jupiter has been in an applying conjunction with Pluto for the last couple of weeks, and this kind of mounting transformational death energy is a big part of it. 
Um, I remember right after my mom died talking to an astrologer who had um, predicted the day that she would die based on um, the moon and aspect to Jupiter. And that um, person was saying that she saw Jupiter um, fitting in death charts quite a lot, that Jupiter um, is, a, is an expanding energy. And since she told me that, I've been watching Jupiter and particularly watching Jupiter in death charts. And I agree with what she said, Jupiter is often present. And it's a different way to think about this planetary energy since a lot of times um, people talk about it as opportunity and luck and a good mood and generosity and benevolence. It can be all of those things. Um, but often I think it also describes energy getting so big that it leaves a material form. Jupiter is a big gaseous planet, right? It doesn't really have a lot of solidity and it's this, this expanding force. Um, so Jupiter coming together with Pluto to me really speaks to the moment that we're in, which is the Anthropocene. We are in an era of mass extinction and um, it is irresponsible to turn away from that or pretend that it's something else. A lot of people are dying. People have been dying for a long time and um, it, we're going to see more and more of it. And it's not just people, it's our ecosystems. It is uh, a lot of species. It's the oceans. In this time of mass death, we have to um, turn and, and confront death as a force. If we continue running from it, um, ignoring it, being scared of it, it, it can't be the healing transformative energy that it actually is. You know, what death does is it creates fertility. And this really is the symbol of Pluto as a planet that represents death, transformation, and rebirth. And so if we think of Pluto as the composting force, something that is breaking down the material forms into their um, kind of molecular stew or juice, that space becomes hugely fertile, really um, ripe with potential to grow something. Death is part of life. It's not different. We're always dying. I've died so many times in my life, you know, various aspects of my personality, relationships, who I thought I was going to be, that job I thought I was going to have, that attachment that I had to so-and-so. I've experienced so many people dying. You have too. We're constantly dying and birthing and rebirthing ourselves. And it is a sacred process. We want to get um, familiar with death. We want to honor death. There's a um, parable in Buddhism about the Buddha in conversation with Maru, um, which I, I think is the figure of death. And um, this, uh, this kind of relationship where the Buddha um, is always inviting Maru in, like, like, come and sit here, come and be part of this. And this is what we want. We can um, achieve maybe a state of equanimity. We can find a state of peace when we're not running from something, when we're not fearful of something or pretending that it doesn't exist and then um, hiding, you know, under the bed from it. So Jupiter coming into contact with Pluto, I think, is a symbol of this time. And uh, we want to turn towards it and honor our dead and honor what is dying. Um, 
this this feels really important to me that we have to honor our dead. You know, there's a lot of um, a lot of people right now getting interested in ancestral work and ancestral healing. Um, me too. This is um, totally a, a focus for me right now, and it's not something that I've been educated about until recently. Um, so growing up, uh, there was, you know, we didn't have an ancestor altar in my house. Um, there were pictures of um, maybe some people who'd passed on, but there was no regular practice around honoring the dead and connecting with them and their legacies. Um, as a person who, um, you know, is is white, like whatever that means, I have white skin, I'm a recipient of white privilege, but I have parents who were radicals and um, fairly aware or aware as maybe they um, could have been given their contexts. Um, I've been aware my whole life of a kind of shame um, towards my ancestry and a feeling of like, oh, whoa, my people really fucked some things up. Um, that's one part of my family. And then another part of my family are refugees. And um, the way that I was taught to connect with um, my ancestral inheritances uh, included a lot of um, being angry at them or feeling disdain um, or feeling the trauma of what they'd gone through and trying to get past it by basically like, you know, simultaneously pitying them and kind of ignoring what they'd been through. Over the last couple of years, as uh, there's been more and more conversation growing around ancestral work and ancestral healing, and as I've been paying attention to these symbols in astrology, Pluto and Capricorn and Chiron and Aries being the two um, main symbols that I think really speak to the need for ancestral reckoning, I've started to do a lot of inquiry in myself around, well, what is my ancestry and how do I um, relate with it? And doing that work continues to be really profound and transformational and really healing. Um, and it, it looks like it looks for me, and it probably looks different for a lot of people, but for me, it includes um, a lot of imagination and kind of voyaging back. There's some collecting of information, who was who and where did they come from and what did they do, but there's a lot that I don't know about who my people were and where they came from. So I'm imagining and I'm imagining what I know through um, historical documents or research. And I'm imagining what I know through my own body and uh, the, the kind of inner body resonance I have when I direct my felt sense awareness uh, into my family's past. And a fair amount of what comes up um, is kind of confronting the negative or harmful legacies that have existed um, in my family. So for example, I know that um, some of my ancestors were really early colonists and actually um, pretty big landowners um, on the East Coast and slave owners, right? And so 
if I can kind of feel into that legacy and feel the privileges that I've gained through that legacy, which means um, transmission of wealth on that side of my family, and also insulation from um, scrutiny and kind of a, a social pass and like a lot of help along the way, right? People able to go to college, people able to get really good jobs, um, people not being held accountable for um, maybe the ways that they break the law or bend it to their favor or things like that. Um, when I feel into that in myself, I can feel on one hand the um, the privilege, my unearned privilege, but um, the, the ease that I've been given, right? Some access to resource and um, missing out on a certain kind of of pain that I may have had if I had different ancestors or exposure um, that I may have had. And then I also have to feel into the, the resonance that, that passes through me and my own capacity to avoid, right? To be insulated from an experience, to just move along in my life and think that I'm getting somewhere on my own steam and not seeing all of the invisible labor, not seeing all of the circumstances that have come together to get me where I am. And for me to meditate on that feels really healing. It feels really important. It feels like it allows me to come into um, more awareness right now, more awareness of what my responsibility is, of how I can act and react or not react in my life when I'm confronted with my own privilege, with my own responsibility. And honoring my dead Honoring those that have come before me is honoring their legacies and honoring my responsibility to their legacies. I also get to come into contact with the really beautiful parts of my ancestry, um, to remember all the way back to one time when my people were also indigenous, which we all have, right? Like all of our people at one time were indigenous. They lived on the land. They lived in connection with the natural world. They lived in societies that maybe didn't um, strive to exploit and separate uh, as much as what this society does. When I connect in with those ancestors, I feel really held by them. I feel invited to connect with my own intuition and not to appropriate other traditions or practices, but to really connect with my own knowing and to trust it and to feel empowered with it. Why am I talking about this? I went on a, a tangent. Jupiter conjunct to Pluto. This is a time to honor our dead and to honor all that is dying in the world and to really allow ourselves to be impacted by it, to feel it, and to pause, to take a moment with it, to appreciate the, the profound impact of death and um, create some ceremony around it. There are a lot of wise people out there that talk about the, the power of ceremony as a rites of passage, that when we offer ceremony and ritual to transition, then we can move forward. But if there's no ceremony, then we're stuck, right? It becomes a, a kind of frozen space. A lot of people are dying right now. COVID-19 is not the leading cause of death on the planet. Um, poverty probably is, you know, war and uh, the, the implications of um, inequity are, I'm going to guess, the, the leading causes of death. 
um, pollution, right? Like these kind of byproducts of our productive capitalist cultures are the leading causes of death. And COVID-19 is a, a, a huge phenomena and by no means is it nothing. Um, it's way more than a bad flu. It is uh, overwhelming hospitals. It is um, creating a lot of, of suffering for people and their families and it needs to be honored. And we need to honor it in context of all of the uh, kind of underlying foundational issues that it's exposing and treat it as a moment to evolve, to awaken, right? To, to honor a lot of the circumstances that are making this moment as extreme as they are, or as it is. On April 7th, we have a full moon. The full moon is the opposition of the sun and the moon. And the sun and the moon will hold 18 degrees of Aries and Libra, respectively. So again, check your natal charts. Um, the full moon is square to Jupiter and Pluto. Now it's a wide square, but it's definitely still in orb or it's still in aspect. And so what that means is that the opposition between the sun and the moon um, is kind of uh, focusing in on the fulcrum point of Jupiter and Pluto conjunct. So that's just what I was talking about, this massive death and um, transformative energy. And with the sun and the moon in Aries and Libra, the moon is getting illuminated. The Libra moon is getting illuminated. And the themes of Libra are um, justice and equity, fairness, relationship, and balance. With the sun in Aries, we have a symbol of the individual and individualism or warriorship, opposing the necessity for equity, balance, and relationship. Now, both of those are square to Jupiter and Pluto, again, a symbol of death and transformation. So for me, I think that the messages of, these full moon, of this full moon really has to do with the rebalance of power and wealth that's necessary um, to achieve a state of equity, of balance, um, of equanimity, and right relationship. Injustices are going to be um, more and more exposed over the course of the month. Of course, it already is. It's like we're hearing about the people who can't take time off, the, the communities that are getting um, disproportionately impacted. So these themes need to be elevated in awareness right now. Everybody needs to be talking about them and pushing for a rebalance. We need more than $1,000, <laughs> right? There's a lot of rebalancing that needs to happen. If the, if the wealthiest 1% released a portion of their wealth into um, the, the common shared pocket, we would be okay. We would be able to get through this time and people wouldn't be drastically impacted. So that's the thing that we want to push for. And I think that we will be pushing for it because a couple of days after that full moon on April 12th, Mercury, the planet of communication and mind, will move into Aries. And Mercury will start to um, stimulate a, a kind of fury and um, elevation, amplification of volume in the voices. Mercury in Aries is a combative, communicative style. Um, 
Mercury is going to be following the Sun's trajectory through Aries and throughout the next 30 days of Aries season the Sun is illuminating what's happening in Aries. So let's um, finish up talking about Aries and what it is and what's going on there. So Aries is considered to be the first sign of the zodiac. It is the child of the zodiac, the infant, the teenager, the young energy, the youthful energy. In a letter, or the first draft of a letter I was writing for the Embodied Astrology blog, I wrote, because the kind of astrology I've learned was conceived in the north, I think Aries is given to this season because of how it feels when the sun finally comes back after a long winter. Do you know that feeling? It's like a supercharge. Fuck yeah. Spring into action. Grab the day. Open your eyes. Breathe deep. Pound your chest. Holler at the top of your lungs. Take off running down the street. Tear off your clothes. Ravish each other. Tough and tumble. Maybe get in a fight. Climb a mountain. Kick down a door. Barge in. Get that kind of hug where you jump up on a person and tackle them. Then tag. You're it. Take off tearing down the street again. Hop on a motorcycle. Do something risky. Do something heroic. Listen to loud music with all your friends in the car with the windows rolled down. Smoking joints. No seatbelts, who gives a fuck, laugh in the face of danger, then because it's dangerous and the moment is now, fall head over heels, crazy, romantic, and love. Aries is this kind of energy that is so impulsive and ready to live with a zest for life. In the body, in medical astrology, Aries literally rules the physicality of the entire body. Being a human, what does it mean to be me or I? What does it mean to be you living in your body, in your physicality, in your existence? Aries has dominance over the upper portion of the skull, the eyes, the ears, the brain, the portals where we intake all of the information that we're getting through our sense organs, being in our bodies, receiving all of the information of being bodies in the world, and reacting and responding to sensation. Now, I feel so fortunate in my life right now to be head over heels, crazy, romantically in love with an Aries, um, with my partner, Ayana. And sometimes I joke about not understanding Aries until I saw them um, perform an Aries feat, which I'm going to, with their permission, share with you now. Um, so a couple of years ago, Ayana and I went backpacking. Um, we, we did a week-long backpacking trip um, in, in Oregon, and we had climbed all the way up to this beautiful place called Lakes Basin, and we had found this campsite, um, which was pretty nice. And we had set up our camp, but there were these other campsites that were nicer than ours. And Ayana um, really wanted one of them, and they, had, they were taken. Other people were there. Um, so we'd gone up for my birthday and, um, we, we hiked up the day before my birthday. We got this campsite the next day on my birthday. We went out for a hike. Um, we ate a little bit of mushrooms. Um, I was having a pretty wild trip. I was kind of incapacitated a little bit like a puddle, you know, do you know that feeling? Just like a puddle in the tent. And, um, Ayana sees that the people on this other campsite are like packing up their gear and all of a sudden they're like a hawk 
you know, like an eagle, their gaze just really fixed on that campsite, like, oh my God, they're going to leave. So they walk over immediately to get the information. They come back and they're like, okay, they're, they're packing up and they're going to leave early tomorrow morning. I'm going to get that campsite. And I was like, babe, I don't know. Like, I feel like a puddle. I can't really move anywhere. And they were like, don't worry, don't worry. So I wake up the next morning, a little bit hungover. Um, and Ayana's awake, packing up all of our stuff. And I get out of the tent. And they've already like moved a bunch of stuff over to this other campsite. And then they come running back and they're like, okay, I'm going to take the tent. And literally they thought that they were just going to pick up the whole tent, not pack it down and just move it over to this campsite. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, that's going to be really hard. Um, I don't think you're going to be able to do it. The trail is kind of rocky. Let's just pack it up. And we got into a little bit of a thing because that was going to take time. But then we did end up doing it. And then later they were like, yeah, you were right. We should have packed the tent up. And that was a good call. And we did. We got the campsite. Um, and I was so impressed because I was like, whatever, you know, our campsite is fine. We don't need that other campsite. We should just chill. And Ayana was like, no, I'm going to get that campsite. And they were absolutely intent and set upon it. And they made it happen. And they did it a little impulsively, but they did it. So I'm going to um, bring Ayana in for a second to introduce a little bit of, of Aries energy, um, because who else better to talk about Aries than an Aries? Um, so this little cameo is uh, us talking. So yesterday we were talking about Aries, and I said something like, the magic of Aries is that it doesn't have a plan, and it doesn't matter if it doesn't have a plan because it has this um, kind of fierce optimism and it doesn't doesn't care about having a plan and then you said I said that I think it's actually it feels like it's not about not having a plan it's actually transcends the plan like the feeling of it to me is a knowing and an intuition and I think with that is like comes a a tremendous amount of intelligence because really plans are just ideas and stories anyway and as we're all being so intensely confronted with in this moment you know we can all have a plan and it's just gonna fall away moment by moment and so yeah the feeling of it to me is like there's this knowing and then there's this kind of like intense focus which can feel like also like tunnel vision which can have its consequences but it is also kind of a magical feeling of, like you said, fierce optimism, or maybe even beyond that, it's just kind of resolve. How in your life have you experienced the evolution, maybe it's not a linear evolution, but the, the difference between Aries when it's in that kind of like tunnel vision space that maybe can be... Um, not thought out or impulsive or maybe like lead to accidents that part of Aries as opposed to like the part of Aries that feels like really igniting and what you were saying like this sense of belief and passion energetically the first feels aggressive not towards anyone or anything except for maybe oneself it often can accompany emotions like anger or frustration and um, ignorance 
So, like, I can think of an example of, like, being a teenager and having a pretty extensive knee injury and surgery and, you know, gone through a lot of pain around that, um, but with an inability to sit still, um, decided that I was going to ignore the advice of everyone around me mm-hmm. and run sprints <laughs> a couple months after my surgery anyway, because it's like a kind of um, impenetrable feeling, which also comes with youth, maybe. <laughs> anyway, just like nothing can happen to me, even though this thing had just happened. Um, and then like re-injured it. So it's like, it, that also felt like a, like I knew I could do it in a tunnel vision and a knowing, but it was accompanied by a kind of like energetic quality of like barreling through anything, um, which doesn't consider other people or even the well-being of oneself. And then the, the other side, like the more maybe enlightened Aries, mm-hmm. how do you feel the positive? That feels more like opening and excitement. It can also be all-consuming. It's, like, obsessive in the same way. There's, like, more of an expanded sense around whatever the objective is and maybe some more clarity and consideration um, for impact. Any advice you have to give for people to work with Aries Energy this next month? That initial knowing and intuition can actually feel really embodied, and I think it often comes in like a very embodied way, like I feel it in my in my gut. It's not only in the brain, but then when the action begins, I think what can happen is like a loss of the body and like operating from the head is to get towards whatever the thing is. And so I think the challenge for that energy is to always come back to the body because that's where the knowledge is. One thing I've just been noticing in the last week is like as plants fall away, this um, instinct or like. A fluctuation between this impulse to like barrel through and a pressure on oneself to still accomplish the thing that that I had set out to do and my body and my mind and everything around me telling me that it's actually a time to rest and be more easeful with yourself. I think that for Aries that can be a challenge um, in any day on any day but like right now it feels really really important to consider the long term right like Aries feels like a very initiatory energy and like a starting energy it can sometimes like the gift that we're talking about of like that intuition or that knowing can also like because it doesn't need to oftentimes like think about the long game and that actually feels like really important like to conserve and to like nourish and meet your body where it is in that like to tell yourself that that's okay thanks babe sure will (laughs) all right well that was ayana i'm so glad you all met um ayana's awesome and one of these days i'm gonna introduce them more and the work that they do when they're ready for it because it's so cool and you're gonna think it's so cool too but until then, um, what are some of the, the key words that were mentioned um, in this description of Aries? Resolve, instinct, impulse, aggression, anger, frustration, ignorance, teenager, youth, operating from the head, impenetrable, tunnel vision, barreling through, doesn't consider, 
opening, excitement, focus, goal, embodied knowing, initiatory, instinctual, starting, catalyzing, consider the long term. Those are some pretty important themes for Aries. Um, And so over the course of the next 30 days, as we go into Aries season, the sun being in this sign is going to ignite Aries in our bodies. And Aries is a warrior kind of energy. It's a fighting energy. Um, Sometimes I think about the zodiac seasons as uh, closets, and you go into the closet and you get uh, to put on all the costumes. And so in the Aries closet, we're going to have all kind of combat gear, um, weapons, tactical gear, uh, sports gear, you know, all the stuff that you need to be a badass. And when we experience Aries, um, we experience the part of ourselves that has to fight to stay alive. And living could be a game, it could be a competition, or it could be a battle. But that kind of um, immediacy of existence um, is what Aries uh, promotes. Um, so sometimes I think of, of Aries energy as a fierce optimism. Um, this idea that Ayana was talking about that's like Aries transcends the plan. There is just a belief that that's the thing I'm going to do, so I'm going to do it, get out of the way. And that kind of optimism might not be a, a fluffy, glowy, like, oh, it's going to be great. It could be like, this is going to be so hard and it's going to suck. But I'm going to do it, you know, and I'm going to succeed. And if I don't succeed, then I'll die trying and it's worth it. It's, it's really fierce. And um, when we embody Aries, we have to embody our inner warriors. But like Ayana was saying, Aries needs to consider the long term. And Aries is the opposite sign to Libra. And Libra is the sign of relationship. And you may have heard this saying before, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So Aries learns by uh, pausing long enough to consider the consequences, to consider the outcome, and by learning to work with other people in order to get its goals met. So over uh, the Aries season, and as we work with this energy, we want to work skillfully with our inner warriors. I really love the idea of a spiritual warrior being um, someone who is not um, promoting violence in their warriorship, but is promoting compassion and tenderness and clarity and accountability and speaking truth to power. That being in warriorship is being present. It's being awake. It's being willing to feel feelings. It's being um, willing to, to stick with something. And we really need this kind of warriorship this month because of what is already happening in Aries, in the sign of the self. Um, Everybody has Aries in their chart. And so when we relate with the notion of self and selfhood, me and I and our bodies and our physicality, then we are relating with Aries. So in the sign of Aries right now, um, there are three figures that I want to talk about. And over the course of Aries season, the sun is going to be highlighting these figures. So the first highlight comes at the new moon. I had mentioned this before, when the sun is conjunct to Chiron and Lilith. Chiron and Lilith are currently conjunct in Aries. 
Chiron, I've talked about a fair amount, um, Lilith uh, to some extent. If you listen to last year's Aries season, I talked a lot about Chiron, and I also offered a class at that time that is still available on my website called Reconnecting the Separated Self. And um, Chiron is a healing journey that is also a healing crisis. This is a symbol that describes the pain of being human, um, in Aries, as, as a, a symbol of the self, we have uh, the idea of the self causing damage to the self because of misidentification and a false belief that the self exists. So let me break that down. You live in a body, right? You've got an identity, I, me, all of the things that are wrapped up in your identity, like uh, I come from these people and this is my background and this is my job and da da da. But if we start to, to complicate those identities and we go, well, where does this identity fit in with this other context? Or where do you uh, get supported by these other people? And where does your work blend with some other person's work? We recognize that nobody really exists on their own, right? There's no such thing as a separate self. And then we have to contend with the, the complication of interconnection. And Chiron, as a symbol of healing crises, is a recognition that there is no self. And in that recognition, there's a lot of pain. So we have to break down the ego and its formation. And the ego is formed around uh, ideas, right, and stories. And these ideas, in large part, have been given to us from the outside, from an external source. So the idea of what it means to be in your particular body with your um, skin color, with your stature, with your class access, with your gender, with your da-da-da-da-da, all the different things that have to do with your body, the different conditions that have to do with your body, all have stories attached to them. And those stories have judgments and they have value systems. And all of us are the recipient of intergenerational belief systems and cultural belief systems that take us away from ourselves. And so they go, oh, you're born with a vagina. That means that you are a girl and you're not a boy. And therefore you can't play with these toys and you can't wear those clothes and you can't have these attitudes or these desires. And there's a separation of identity. Oh, you're this thing, not that thing. That is a wound. That is incorrect. <laughs> right? People are complex. They're evolving, morphing collections of energy that can be a whole lot of things. And so to put anybody in a box to say, this is who you are, and therefore this is how you have to act, and this is what you have to want, and this is what you can't want, is to wound a being. And part of our healing crisis is recognizing where we have misidentified with these ideas of who we are and where we have been internally separated. So if I recognize that my whole life I've been functioning with this idea of who I should be because I've been born in a body that has ovaries and a womb, then I'm going to have to confront the part of me that didn't get to develop, the part of me that I shoved in a closet somewhere, the part of me that I feel shame for coming out, you know, when I think I should be this thing and actually this other thing is emerging. I have to hold that part of me. I have to uh, listen to it. I have to acknowledge that it's there. And then I have to nourish it. I have to nurture it. 
we all have this work to do. We all have uh, so many stories that have separated us internally from ourselves. And those internal separations manifest as external separation. So when I judge myself and I say, well, I'm this, then I'm also going to say, you're that. Because my opposition only exists in context to the thing that I am opposing. So anywhere we find identity and ego, we find something that identity and ego is pushing against. In order to heal, as we reach for healing, we facilitate a sense of belonging and inclusion and connection and awareness and insight can arise from here. Um, so Chiron in Aries is a, is a fairly long transit until 2027. And throughout this time, a lot of us are doing a lot of work around recognizing ego wounds, recognizing the pain of being human. And part of what's happening right now on the planet is that we are really being confronted with the pain of being human. Why does my privilege allow me to sit here with all of my organic food rations while meanwhile uh, someone else is living on the streets, they can't even wash their hands, never mind get enough food, never mind have a warm place to sleep and um, you know stay distanced from this thing that could kill them. Why does that happen? I have to sit with that kind of pain, with that separation, with the inequity, and with the rage that is going to result from that. It shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be separated from each other like this. The reason that we're separated is because we have these ideas that we are separate, that I can be out for number one, for me, my individualism. I'm going to fight for that, and it doesn't matter who I step on to get there. So Chiron and Aries, I think, is a symbol of the pain of individualism, the, the misidentification with identity, and the way that we can um, heal ourselves and become healing forces for one another by including ourselves, by remembering who we are. Uh, some of what I've already talked about, doing the ancestral work, positioning ourselves, um, coming home, becoming tender, and promoting tenderness, transparency, connection in the world. Chiron is together with Lilith. That means that they're acting together. They represent um, something that is a combined force. Lilith is an old symbol. Um, you may have heard me talk about Lilith in, in other episodes or maybe have heard it about it somewhere else. Um, in um, biblical mythology, Lilith is the first wife of Adam and actually was created in equality with Adam, but was um, excluded from the Garden of Eden. Lilith uh, wanted equality. She wanted true equality. And um, that came out in a story about sex that Lilith uh, wanted to take top. And Adam said no. And then God said no. And then she was cast out of the garden for saying that she wasn't going to be on bottom. And this, I think, is not really like just a biblical story. This is a story of casting something out, of separating something, of demonizing, othering, rejecting, and excluding. And how are we doing that? What are all the ways that we do that? Class, wealth, race, gender. There have been so many splits in, in so many different ways throughout cultures, societies, ages, um, currently, you know, race and class are big ones, 
but capitalism and white supremacy are not the first or the worst conditions that humanity has faced in terms of separation. Um, it's deeper than that. It's been going on for longer than that. And capitalism and white supremacy are two names we can put around a momentum that includes all of the residue that comes up underneath it before maybe we had words to describe uh, a racial identity or something like that. So if we go underneath that, if we go even deeper, Lilith is an origin story. Now we can take this all the way back to like the origins of, of Christianity, patriarchy, and misogyny. Um, I don't know. I imagine that throughout the existence of Homo sapiens, there have been um, splits. So this goes back to what I was saying about Chiron. When we uh, recognize a self, then we recognize an other. And in order to recognize a self, there has to be an other. And as soon as there's another, then there's a conflict, potentially. They've got something that we don't have. Then we start to compare. And this is what we do as humans, right? We contrast, we compare. Um, when that split happens, where we think one thing is separate than another, then we get conflict arising. So for me, I think Lilith at this moment, how I'm understanding it, is uh, a representation or a symbol of a split between um, two halves that are not actually separate. So we might have in this origin story the, the kind of primary split and misidentification of masculine and feminine, an idea that there is such a thing as men and women, um, which at this point we know is categorically false, that there are a lot of variances. There are plenty of people who are born in the intersex spectrum. There are trans people, there are binary people, non-binary people, there always have been. Um, having two binary uh, <laughs> options is ridiculous. And it completely takes away from the complexity and totality of a human experience, which is that everybody has masculine and feminine inside of them and a whole lot of other stuff too. And we don't need to reduce ourselves into those silly categories. Lilith is also a story of a split between life and death. So Lilith um, was a symbol appropriated by uh, Christianity, and the symbol is a, a deeper significance taken from the Sumerian tradition. Um, Lilith's symbology is the tree of life, roots growing down into the earth, branches growing up into the sky, and two snakes, one white, one black, wrapped around the trunk. So we have this idea of duality, life, death, black, white, opposition, this thing, that thing. Lilith's symbol is that they are the same. Life and death are the same. And the old wisdom, the goddess wisdom, that death is part of life. And this goes back to Pluto's wisdom as well. Pluto as uh, the transformative, regenerative figure that composts uh, what has died to create the fertility for what will be born. Life and death don't exist separate from one another another. They have to go together. So Chiron together with Lilith, to me, very much speaks to a fundamental split 
in identity and the chaos and the havoc that that split wreaks in our relationships with one another and on the planet as we run around like crazy people trying to take care of ourselves, trying to do this individual thing and completely forgetting that we are responsible for one another and that when each other is taken care of, then we are taken care of, right? When, when the collective is healthy, then the individuals are healthy. Further on in Aries season, the sun will come into conjunction with um, this figure called Eris. So Eris is a recently discovered figure, um, discovered in the early 2000s. And you might remember Eris's discovery as um, what got Pluto demoted. I think Pluto has been reinstated as in its planetary status, but um, Eris really caused a, a stink. And that is what Eris does. Um, so if you read about Eris mythology, you'll read about the goddess of discord and um, the, the mother of fury and strife. You'll also read that Eris is considered to be a personification, and that means that Eris represents um, in deity form something that humans experience, and the personification is a, a kind of objectified figure of discord and fury and strife. And this is an experience, an embodied experience, that arises as the result of um, exclusion, um, not being considered, uh, vanity, hubris. Um, it arises in response to violation and ignorance. Iris has a mythology of um, being kind of a shitstorm. So she complicates things, she upsets things, and she uh, maybe, I, I don't really think that she's the reason that the Trojan War started, but she had something to do with it. She exposed something, though, in, in her mythology. What she exposed was vanity, and she exposed competitiveness, and that's what caused this big war. And so the shitstorm of Eris, I think, is in this uh, archetype of complication. When a person complicates something, because they, um, they, they are giving an alternative to the dominant narrative, right? That's a kind of shitstorm that, you know, this is like the nasty woman kind of archetype or whatever, whatever that archetype is called. Um, people who aren't given a seat at the table, who are not invited in to be part of the dominant narrative, then when their voices are finally heard, they've been yelling for so long, trying to get people's attention, feeling shut out of the conversation, that um, then what you get is fury. You get a complication. You get an argument. That argument could be ignored um, and it will create more discord. It will create chaos and havoc. That argument can be opened to and then things get uncomfortable for a long time because they have to be dealt with. There, there needs to be a listening process, an accountability process, and that itself can be chaotic. If systems were built uh, with everybody included, everybody who had stakes in the game included in how the system was built, it might take 
a little bit longer to figure out how to build the thing. It might have to happen in a kind of dispersed, emergent way, not in some kind of hierarchical, okay, we've got a plan, everybody follow the plan way. It could be kind of messy, but ultimately, I imagine if there was more equality coming into how um, systems were being created, those systems would be more sustainable. They would take care of everybody they needed to take care of. So I think for me, again, my interpretation, that Eris is a representative of the discord and the discomfort or the friction um, that we need to work through in order to get somewhere. And this is not easy, and conflict and argument will arise, but conflict and argument can be very productive. They can actually lead to greater accountability and trust if they're navigated skillfully. Now, all year, last year and this year, Pluto is square to Eris, so the force of death, destruction, and transformation, square to Eris. All year this year, uh, last year, Saturn is square to Eris, and then all of this year, Jupiter is square to Eris. So we have this Capricorn um, stellium, the, the combination of three planets working together along with the south node, the crumbling capitalist patriarchy, white supremacist industrial complex, whatever the fuck that is, this uh, variation of culture and society that has been built on exploitation of bodies and land, that has been built on um, just a couple of people and a dominant narrative being promoted as the way and the right way, and those voices, those figures having hierarchy. And then we have a lot of uh, voices that haven't been included. We have a lot that hasn't been considered. And all of that is um, now rising up. So I think of Eris not necessarily as only discord, but as a, a kind of rising cacophony of voices that are demanding equality. And this is, I think, such a, a huge potential of this time um, is that more and more people are gaining traction and leverage for their voices, for their stories. There are more and more people doing the work of positioning themselves, of understanding their ancestry, of understanding their impact. There is more and more cohesion around agreement that the dominant narrative is um, grossly inadequate and leaves a lot of things out and something else needs to be considered. So right now there's a lot of chaos because the old system has to fall. And all of this fury and rage and erotic creativity has to bubble up and banish that old thing and something else has to happen. Again, astrology, I think, provides a uh, a, a kind of spectrum of possibility. So on the one hand, we could have increasing strife and discord and more and more war um, as the wealth gap increases. On the other hand, we could move towards conflict and discord with the attitude that there's something to learn. And if we can do that, it will be chaotic but it will be a productive, fertile kind of chaos that leads to the type of growth that we need. As the sun moves through Aries, it is bringing consciousness to these energies of Chiron and Lilith, 
um, to the ways that we've internalized these stories and how we continue to perpetuate them. And at the end of Aries season, around April 12th, when Mercury moves into Aries, we need to elevate these conversations. We want to start making connections, talking about them, spreading um, these kinds of awareness. So Aries season, in summary, um, is the beginning of a massive, massive shift. With Saturn moving into Aquarius this month, we have um, the beginning of basically a three-year transit. Saturn, um, like I said, will be in and out of Aquarius throughout this year. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's retrograde for a good chunk of the year, but it will move back into Aquarius um, as of mid-December, and right after Saturn uh, moves into Aquarius, Jupiter moves into Aquarius, and on the solstice, on the December solstice, um, December 21st, 2020, Saturn and Jupiter will meet together at zero degrees of Aquarius. Now, this conjunction is really significant. Um, in traditional astrology, Saturn and Jupiter are the social planets. They're considered to be the timekeepers, and that means that they define the era that we're in or the eras as we move through them. These two planets in their combination describe the development of industry and the growth of human society. Jupiter as a symbol on the positive hand promotes um, ethical, generous, expansive, open-minded, um, optimistic, uh, kind of perspectives and diversity, multiculturalism, and uh, love. On the negative, Jupiter can represent greed, opulence, hoarding, and overwhelm, and this kind of idea of more, 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 more. Um, Saturn, on the positive side, represents accountability, uh, discernment, wisdom, measured, thoughtful, mature, and disciplined approaches. And on the negative side, Saturn can manifest as harsh, uh, cold, punitive, separate, rigid, authoritarian, uptight, and closed. When Jupiter and Saturn come together, we have a social movement. We have people influencing one another in their growth, presenting new ideas, asking for minds to be opened. We have new innovation coming in and development of industry, maturity, ideas of responsibility, and what it means to have agency in the world. Jupiter and Saturn come together every 20 years, and because of their orbital paths, they um, have a pattern of meeting in signs of the same element um, for 200 years. So they come together every 20 years, and for 200 years, those 20-year meetups will be in signs of the same element. Since the 1800s, Jupiter and Saturn have met in the Earth element. And earth element is associated to the material world, to the idea of uh, wealth, accumulation and accrual of wealth, building things, ownership of things, and dominance of things. We have uh, a kind of hierarchical ownership boss idea of, of um, human existence with the earth element. The cycle that began in the 1800s um, can be seen in um, association with 
the industrial age, right? And so when you learn about the industrial age, there are all these different beginnings to it. Um, but most people will agree that it began in the early 1800s. And as Jupiter and Saturn uh, come together in December, they are beginning a new 200-year cycle that will be dominated by the air element. And so for the next 200 years, they will be meeting up in an element that promotes innovation, information, science, intellect, creativity, um, social cohesion, collaboration, exchange, and the people. We are entering a new era right now. Um, this, what we are experiencing in this moment is the end of the old era and the beginning of the new. Nothing is going to go quote unquote back. There is absolutely no potential that from here we are going to go backwards into what we were. So if you're coming across people and they're like, I wish things would just go back to normal. First of all, you call them out on the idea of normal because who gets to define normal anyway? And secondly, there's no going back. We have to move forward and it is time right now to adjust to the new normal, which for at least the next 12 years um, is going to be rapid change. Now, I'm saying it's going to be the next 12 years um, because of the cycle that I started off talking about, Neptune and Pluto working together. Um, Neptune and Pluto are in a forming sextile uh, for another 12 years. They're very, very slow-moving planets. Um, and in 2032, they complete that sextile between 2028 and 2032 excuse me, 2028 and 2032, um, they will perfect it. And in 2032, they will complete it. My prediction, I don't usually predict things, but I'm going to go out on a limb here, is that by 2032, we'll figure out um, what we're doing. And this definitely corresponds with the scientific opinion that we have about 10 years to get our shit together. And in this next decade, we are going to see it happening. And it will either be deteriorating rapidly, and 10 to 12 years from now, we'll be living into that mass extinction and annihilation and global war. Um, or we are going to be making some rapid progress and change into something else. Now, personally, I feel optimistic, and I have to say that. I spent a lot of um, the last couple of weeks preparing a report for 2021, which I'm excited to uh, share with you later this year. Um, but when I started the report, I was like getting really depressed going, oh my God, we're not going to make it. By the end of the report, I felt, um, I really felt optimistic. And this is our time right now. I think humanity is ready for something else. It's not going to be an either or thing. So not overnight are we going to wake up and suddenly like all be on this egalitarian social harmony page. Um, there will be the forces of destruction always that work with the fortune forces of creation. Um, as we move into this era, we need to be aware of the way that the, the forces of hierarchy and dominance are going to be infusing the new um, kind of technological age that we're moving into. Um, we can call this the, um, you know, the, the digital part of the industrial age or the virtual part of the industrial age. I'm going to say it's a new 
age. We could say it's the age of uh, information or science or whatever you want to call it. But these next 200 years, um, there will be rapid developments in technology. Pretty much all astrologers agree on this. We're going to see AI develop uh, robotics, um, mass communications, systems of distribution, there will have to be some kind of different social cohesion. Borders are going to be changing. Now, in all of this development, if the, the same kind of hierarchical power uh, continues to permeate this development, we will move into that dystopian future, that kind of big brother future where everybody is being surveyed, where the robots take over, you know, where humanity is reduced to a kind of global working class with a couple big fat cats sitting on top. Um, that's, that's fully, you know, like Hunger Games could happen, right? Like this is fully on the table as an option. You see the people who are wanting to move towards that, right? Like Jeff Bezos looking at you, man, like release some of that fucking money to your workers. On the other hand, we could move into a different kind of experience. And this different kind of experience would require mass collaboration and agreement and a lot of people power and the people taking over the industry. That will not happen without chaos and that will not happen without fight. And these next four to 12 years, I have to say, astrologically are very exciting. And that means that there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of excitement. There will be plenty of chaos and there will be plenty of violence and there's not, not that already. What do you want to live for is the same question as what do you want to die for? What are your priorities? In my idea of what we could move towards, Amazon would get taken over by the workers and would become a worker-owned collective. Amazon is a cool idea a mass system of global distribution of the things that people need that can be easily accessed by technology that everybody has, for the most part, at the tip of their fingers, right? You can order what you need on your phone and get it tomorrow. There's technology being developed all of the time that will allow the transportation and distribution of goods to flow um, more sustainably, more quietly, with less uh, fossil fuel emission. If that continues to be an industry that gives profit to just the shareholders, um, it will become an industry that oppresses everybody. And this is what we see now, right? Loss of small business, um, everybody reliant on cheap labor, on cheap goods, the labor industry, the, the capitalist brain state infecting us all. What would happen if Amazon became a worker-owned collective? What would happen if all of the utility companies became publicly owned? What would happen if the internet became a global utility with certain parameters put in place around uh, access and freedom of information? What would happen if these ideas of freedom and equality for all actually became the thing that we embodied? I think that is the potential that we are moving into right now. And Aries season is the beginning of this new world. And we don't know which direction it's going to go. It needs all of us to be spiritual warriors. And that means radical tenderness and engagement and self-understanding.
We have to let the old systems go. We have to let go of the idea of uh, endless economic growth and personal wealth, right? Now is the time for action. And it's not about having an answer or a plan because there's so much that's changing so rapidly. But it needs our passion. It needs our fierce optimism. And that means that we have to believe that we can and we will do it against all odds, that somehow we will come together and unify. <sighs> okay. I'm going to leave it there. This has been a long podcast, a long time talking for me. I never get to say all the things that I want to say. And if you've stuck around this long, thanks for listening. Please just attune with me for one more minute. And together, let's relax our brains. Let's feel a release of energy moving down along the two sides of the spine, releasing the low and the mid back. Imagine warm water being poured down from the top of your head, moving down your whole body. And then bring your attention into the space that's right at the center between your eyebrows, right above the bridge of your nose. And go back from there into the center of your skull into the place that some people will call the seat of wisdom or the third eye, the sixth chakra. Just notice what happens when you bring your awareness there. And notice what happens when you connect that awareness all the way down to the soles of your feet. All the way down into the earth. May we walk in peace. May we be awakened. May we inspire one another's awakening. May we remember that we are one and we are love. I'm wishing all of us all the best in Aries season, and may we move together into a time of profound healing and transformation. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you need resources throughout the month, uh, I'll be linking a bunch in the show notes. Um, again, I have the new and the full moon um, lunar attunement rituals and my home body movement classes. Um, if you want to connect, be embodied, and work more with astrology. I'm going to be posting about other embodiment resources. I find movement teachers all over the place are getting online now with um, these conditions. And that is one of the silver linings is that we can access some really intelligent um, facilitation around our bodies. So if you are a person who's an embodiment facilitator and you're offering um, your online classes, please send me the information and I'll share it on my platform. 
Um, the Healing Justice podcast has an excellent episode on um, the virus. It's a little bit old at this point, but um, there's still a lot of relevant information. And they are also creating a, a big resource um, data bank and um, networks. So I'll link to them and definitely check out their work. Um, How to Survive the End of the World podcast with Adrian Marie Brown and Autumn Brown is an amazing podcast if you haven't listened already. These two human beings are collecting so many resources for transition and apocalypse um, coming from a social justice-centered lens, um, from a reparative justice lens, so definitely check them out. Um, Alexis Pauline Gums is an author that I've mentioned before on this podcast. She wrote M Archive, um, which is an amazing book about apocalypse and the end of the world, and she has a new book out called Dub that I have just barely dipped into and it is so profound and if you're thinking about working with ancestral healing and the transformative potentials of working with our ancestors she's definitely a a voice and a leader to um, check out my friend Jenny Patterson is a breath worker and um, is offering some sliding scale breath work online classes. She also just released a new book called The Power of Breathwork, and she did a guest episode with me last week when we were talking about expansive states. Um, so definitely check her out. Other friends, Golden and Ray, um, who are the two um neurodiverse, disability, justice, queer, somatic, lovely beings that are Luna Soma are offering, um, I think, monthly uh, online meetups to work with sidereal astrology and somatics and and community um, togetherness, and I will link to them as well. Um, There are a lot of resources out there that you know about. What do you know about? Let me know. What are you drawing on in this time? What's supportive to you? Please send it my way. You can leave me a voice memo um, from the link in the show notes, or you can send me an email um, through the contact page on my website, or you can send me a direct message through Instagram or Facebook. And I really appreciate all of your wisdom and your suggestions and resources. So thanks so much for sharing them, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.